If I say the phrase, numb little bug, how many of you have any idea what that means? Okay, yeah. So uh, there's a song that's currently top 20, or, or was top 20 on the Billboard charts. Um, let, me just, let me just share the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it. You can thank me later. Because I just want to see if you feel the same as me. Do you ever get a little bit tired of life? Like you're not really happy, but you don't want to die. Like you're hanging by a thread, but you got to survive because you got to survive. Like your body's in the room, but you're not really there. Like you have empathy inside, but you don't really care. Like you're fresh out of love, but it's been in the air. And my past repair. A little bit tired of trying to care when I don't. A little bit tired of quick repairs to cope. A little bit tired of sinking. There's water in my boat. I'm barely breathing, trying to stay afloat. So I got these quick repairs to cope. I guess I'm just broken and broke. This is M. Byhold. She is 23 years old. She's 23 years old, and a big part of me wants to hear a song like that, which is, by, by the way, very catchy, and be like, you are 23, year old, 23 years old. This is super, like something is super wrong. Outside of the fact that she wasn't a star until she wrote this song, so this specific one-hit song had such traction with people that someone without a name rose to a top 20 Billboard chart song. And, and I, I, I want to just feel like, although also, I got these quick repairs to cope. Guess I'm just broken and broke. I just want to hear a word that, or a line that ends with the word hope somewhere in there. Um, because it just feels like it should be in the lyrics, but it's not. And that, that's the point. It feels like hope ought to be in the lyrics, but it's, it's not. Um, so every moment that I've caught myself saying, what is wrong with our world when a 23-year-old feels this way? I, I can't because I actually feel it too. Hope is really, really hard. Uh, I, I think about the last couple of years when we did all that we could through COVID. And as I think back about my own experience of that, I can hardly consider it without a visceral emotional reaction. Um, like for me, tears come pretty easily as I remember months without seeing people's actual smiles in real life. I officiated two 10-person funerals because we were unable to gather with larger sizes. I preached to a camera week after week, feeling super gross about it almost every time. Um, I talked with people overwhelmed with fear who lived in sorrow of lost loved ones who had rage at the world and everyone around them. I couldn't even take in uh, beautiful natural spaces because beauty made me cry. Um, like many of you who are involved in, uh, in leadership, I could not make everyone happy, but I did succeed at frustrating nearly everyone at one point or another. Um, I, uh, I saw despair and I saw heartache in people's lives, which I could not fix, which brought despair and heartache in my own. Um, I saw sadness that I couldn't cheer up. I saw anger that I couldn't pacify. I saw racism exposed and then ignored, and I felt powerless because I had no idea what my role should look like. Hope wasn't even on my radar. And it seems and seemed 
like a luxury for those who can reflect on the future, not those caught in the middle of a struggle right here and right now. Um, like, who has time to hope when you're trying to put out a fire in the kitchen, right? Uh, since that time, in my own life, there has been a, a deadness in me that creeps up from time to time. Uh, and it, it feels heavy. It's an exhaustion that pastors aren't often supposed to admit that they deal with. Because uh, we're supposed to be the hope givers, right? And so uh, it doesn't feel like it's helpful um, to everyone to hear the, the person in the front of the room say, yeah, I'm feeling hopeless too, this sucks, but see you next Sunday, if you even come, because I probably wouldn't if I were you. Go in peace. But that's the thing about hope. Uh, if you don't walk through darkness, you're not so aware of the need for light. 94 years ago, on this Sunday, in Germany, German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer delivered a sermon, and he said this about the first Sunday of Advent. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. I'll just pause there. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. For these, it is enough to wait in humble hope and fear until the Holy One himself comes down to us. God, the child in the manger. God comes. The Lord Jesus comes. Christmas comes. Christians rejoice. There seems to be truth in that. So, my goal, friends, this year is to approach our emphasis of hope uh, not from a position of power, but a position of humility and openness as one seeking to cling to hope, not one who is an expert on it. So I've been learning a lot trying to place myself in positions where I can be a, a learner. And I've been learning a lot from Dr. Luke Powery at the suggestion of a little book from Lori, which I'm so glad that she suggested. Um, the, he's the dean of, of Duke University Chapel, and he's been introducing me to some of the true experts on hope in the history of the world. He calls them the black and unknown bards, the writers of the spirituals, who wrote the great slave songs, untaught and unnamed. They are the seers of truth, and they are the deniers of despair and the givers of hope. Powery's written an Advent book highlighting these songs and their unknown writers, and he says this. He says, it's critical to learn from these marginalized voices in a liturgical season where hope is found in a humble baby Jesus born into poverty. My approach is a call to remember that hope may be found on the edges of society. And I might say that hope will always only be found on the edges, whether it's the edges of our spirit, whether it's the edges of our society, whether it's the edges of our despair and disappointment. So we're going to be using some of these amazing spirituals throughout the coming month to help us learn hope. We do not want to, by the way, uh, culturally appropriate these songs and diminish their meaning or their history. Our goal is not to take them and claim them as our own. It's to hold them and learn from them, but understand that we are invited into them because of the truth that they hold. And I want to be clear about that. One of the reasons that we're not exactly going to be trying to sing them ourselves. Um, <clears throat> but there is value in that, and we do some of them. 
Uh, but, uh, but, but as Dr. Powery says, of course, the spirituals were formed during brutalizing slavery. And yet every human being, no matter their circumstances, will suffer in some way. Live long enough, and eventually you will sing, nobody knows the trouble I see. Or sometimes I feel like a motherless child. See, this, this longing and this reality of despair, it was present in the people of God at the time of the coming of Christ. We have uh, often what's talked about, it's a little fudged to be honest, but we talk about the 400 years of silence, which is the amount of time between the end of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and the time of Jesus in the New Testament in the Gospels. Now, it's argued that Malachi wasn't actually the latest book written, it's just ordered that way in the canon, so there's some debate, but just in case you want to get all particular on me. I know. Okay. So, um, so anyways, there's been this silence where God has not been seen to have moved in any powerful ways. There's echoes of what the promises were, but there's no experiences of what the promises are in daily life. <laughs> are you with me? Anybody feel that way sometimes? There's record of what the promises were, but in the lived out reality, it was hard to hold on to them because there was no way to actually see it. Now, we trust that God was at work in ways that didn't just make it into the, you know, the records, right? But, but at the same time, there was a waiting period. And so when we enact our Advent season, we actually join into that waiting in silence and embracing the fact that God can still be preparing, that God can still be at work, even when we aren't yet seeing it or feeling it, okay? So it's important that we understand that. Um, but, but when the news begins to come to our, our characters, to our, our people who are the, the ones so beautifully chosen to receive, right? Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary. When that comes, they make note of what their experience is and what their longing has been. So, for example, in, in, um, in uh, Luke 1, uh, Mary proclaims, that he is brought down, when, when, when Mary learns of what the angel says to her, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, and it's going to be miraculous, she begins to proclaim the nature of God and says, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Now that hadn't happened at the moment yet. They were still under deep oppression. He has filled the hungry with good things, and is, but has sent the rich away empty. And then she says this, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. So there's this language of God has not forgotten us. There is the hope of rescue. God is remembering. The promise has not gone away. It is still here. It is still here, and God will meet us just as he promised. So, so Mary proclaims that we have hope of rescue, but within the hope of rescue is the cry of the fact that we have been waiting without it and longing for it. And despair starts to creep in when that's the lived experience. Zechariah, when he learns that his son John is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, he proclaims this in chapter 1, verse 74. He says that, that God is coming to rescue us. That's the same salvation, to rescue, to save. To rescue us from the hands of our enemies and enable, to serve, enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him. So on one level, he says, those who seek to do us harm, God is coming and rescuing us. God is liberating us 
from oppression. But only a few verses later, he also talks about how God is giving his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In verse 77, because of the tender mercy of God, which by the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the path of peace. What a message. But the point being that even that everyone who received this news acknowledged a long far off hope that had nearly been forgotten of God rescuing. God rescuing from oppression and also God rescuing from spiritual oppression, the thing deep inside that was breaking them down, the power of sin, selfishness, turning away. All of these things, there was this hope that God was going to come and do something. And then, my favorite characters, the shepherds, I love these guys. They're just so interesting to me. And this is where we get to land. Um, the shepherds, they are, uh, this is kind of an unlikely passage for today, but you'll see why. So the shepherds were told, were living out in the fields nearby. This is the night of the birth of Jesus, okay? The night of the birth of Jesus. So the shepherds are living out here, and, and they're keeping watch over their flocks. They would travel. They were nomadic. They would travel with their flocks of sheep, okay, or goats. Um, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Many of you, if you've been in the church, you are very familiar with this passage. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. And I'm going to emphasize things. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You can just keep that up there. Now, of course, what happens after this is that the shepherds say, we've got to go see what we've been told about. And so they, they take off down the mountainside, leaving everything behind. And, and what is so significant about this story, um, one of the things that I love is, is that the shepherds were in a life position all right, where they were excluded from almost everything. If anyone in society had reason to despair at this point, it would have been the shepherds. Not only were they a part of Israel who had not heard the promise or not, not received this promise of long off that one day a rescuer would come, but they were not even able to worship because of their, they were unclean because they, did not, um, they weren't able to get to the temple often enough to do the rituals for cleanness, so they were not allowed to be seen or heard from in any meaningful way. They were expected to stay on the fringes of society. And they're the ones that God comes to and says, hey, I have good news for you. Not just for the powerful, not just for the world around there. I have good news to you, the most noticeable outsider, the poorest. Also, when he says, when the angel, we don't know if it was a male or female or if angels, I don't, Maybe they don't follow that contingency at all, or continuum. But the angel says, don't be afraid. The literal translation is fear not, right? And a lot of translations get that right. But I love, I love the, uh, the fear not, because it, it almost seems, if you sit with the story of Israel, it almost seems like it's a double meaning, right? He's saying, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. I know this is terrifying. But he's also saying, hey, fear not. Like, like Superman says when he comes in. Does Superman ever say, fear not? What's the dog that flies around, the cartoon dog? Huh? Underdog. I feel like underdog says, fear not. I haven't seen that for 25 years. Um, so so uh, there's this idea of like, fear not. Hope is coming. Instead of just, don't be afraid, I'm not going to hurt you. There's this double meaning. And so we, we get this whole infusion of hope into a situation that so easily 
could be filled with despair. So maybe that's why I was so drawn to the spiritual this week that we're going to listen to. The first, it was first written down in, in the late 1800s, but it was sung for many years before that. So we're just going to play it for just a moment. And, uh, and, and just, you're allowed to just kind of relax your shoulders and your body and, and feel. And many of you, like, you could just, like, maybe not be quite so rigid and European during this song. Um, so just, just try to relax. Sorry, that's a deep insult, I know. Um, but just, just try to, like, get a sense of not just the words, but the, the feel of, of this, this spiritual. So, Mel, can you play it? I hit it one more time. There's a star in the east on Christmas morning. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. It will lead to the place where the baby is born. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. Lead your flocks and lead your lambs. Rise up, shepherd, and Take good heed of the angels' word. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. You'll forget your thoughts, you'll forget your birth. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. Yeah. Lead your flocks and lead your lambs. Rise up, shepherd, and follow. Anybody have a question? Anybody listen to that story? It's something, it's a beautiful song, but something doesn't feel quite right. What's wrong with the story? There's a star in the east on Christmas morning, rise up, shepherd, and follow. Come on now. Who follows the star? Yeah. Shepherds, shepherds don't see the star. Star comes early. Shepherds, shepherds get the news from the angels, but the magi, they see the star. They travel to Bethlehem. Shepherds are already in Bethlehem. So what's the deal? What's the deal? Uh, we got kind of a mashup happening in this song with the retelling of the Christmas story, right? So, you know, it was the wise men that saw the star in the east, and they followed it to Jesus, but the shepherds were told about Jesus' birth by the angels, and they went to Bethlehem, but the song combines those two stories. 
Now, the, our first question is, well, it was written by people who weren't that educated. So they must have just been confused. But that's not what's happening at all here. They knew the story. See, the writers, uh, the writers created this version not by biblical confusion. There's a strategy of repositioning that's taking place here that was incredibly empowering to the listeners and the singers of this song. See, the wise men, they were thought to be the, the wealthy kings, right, and the nobles from far-off lands bringing these expensive gifts to welcome Christ. These were the people, these were not people whom uh, the slaves could relate to. If, if the wise men were on one end of the social spectrum, then the shepherds, the shepherds were on the extreme on the other side, alienating and degrading living a nomadic lifestyle, like I mentioned before, religious and social outcasts who were looked on with suspicion, unclean, unvalued. The slaves could relate to being outcasts, to being looked upon with suspicion. In the shepherds, they found a kindred spirit, another group of people without a home. So in Rise Up, Shepherd, and Follow, when they replaced the kingly travelers with the people of no status, the slaves were subtly creating a revolution in status for themselves that lined up with the values of Jesus, the hope that Jesus brings. This song is sung to one another, rise up, shepherd, and follow the star. Then they were the, themselves on the same level as the magi, hearing the call, seeing the star, seeking alongside them and following it to the place where salvation and freedom could be found. So, why highlight a song like this in a message about hope? This is a lesson in imagination. In learning to see ourselves in God's story, even when it feels like we might not have a place. To let the truth of Jesus change how we look at all of it, remembering that we are actually included and valued, and that God has not forgotten, and that God will rescue, and that the promise of God is that God rescues and saves all. Not just the privileged few, but all who come, all who follow. The, the lyrics, by the way, of Rise Up, Shepherd, and Follow would have given a slave owner great concern. Uh, they would not want their slaves singing about rising up, finding hope in a star leading to salvation. Revolution was always a concern, um, and they are encouraged in this song to follow a star, which many scholars think uh, was a metaphor for the North Star that many followed out of slavery or code for the North Star. They were also told to listen, which could be a reminder to pay attention to the details for an upcoming escape up north. In multiple ways, this song proclaims that God's liberation and freedom was for them, that hope was present to overcome despair in every single way. And by the way, that work of bringing light and freedom to all continues to be our work as well. But the hope of Jesus coming and the hope of liberation were all wrapped up in the same song. And it spoke to the fact that hope can overcome despair, even in the deepest circumstances. But in every single way, this song was a call to pay attention. Because Jesus and his salvation are available. So respond. Rise up and follow. And it's worth leaving everything behind. This is maybe my favorite part as I think about how this song might speak hope to us. It calls the shepherds to leave your lambs and leave your rams and forget your flocks and herds. It's repeated over and over again in the song. And I, I think about that night when the angels proclaimed to the shepherds that salvation had come, that, that Jesus, that the Messiah was coming to them to bring hope 
and rescue, and the shepherds tore off down the mountain. Um, How that image might speak hope to our despair today. I think when we see the shepherds leaving things behind, like this this song uh, highlights, the rescue of Jesus releases us from the things that we think we need to survive. Um, Whenever we, you know this, whenever we move toward despair, we start to cling to things that we think we need in order to be okay, right? Everybody's got it different. When, when you start to move toward despair, you start to say, okay, what do I need to cling on to that's going to tell me everything is going to be all right? Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's ways of thinking, right? Maybe it's leaning into security through, all, through accumulation, right? If I have enough, I'll be okay. All life's falling around in me, but at least my paycheck is solid, And so that is where my hope begins to lie. But we always find things to hold and cling on to. And some of those things are available one day and not available the next. And so the hope of the the salvation and the rescue of Jesus here is something that is bigger and more beyond the smaller things that we have convinced ourselves we think we need in order to survive. And so I don't know what the attitude of the shepherds was were that night. I don't know if they found it hard to leave behind because, oh my goodness, even if we leave these guys for a moment, are they just going to run away? We're on the mountainsides. No fences out here. Like, do, do, I need, do I need them to survive? I don't know. Or was it freeing that I, I, that, that, that I just, I, I have nothing more important than getting down to sea? I don't know, but all I know is that Jesus releases us from the things that we have convinced ourselves we need because Jesus says, I am coming. And next week we're going to highlight, today we're talking about the rescue of Jesus. Next week we're going to highlight the presence of Jesus and how that brings hope. But this is the promise here. I am coming. I will give you what you need in the deepest sense to be okay. Now it's easy for us to argue that, well, there are other needs. There's physical needs, everything like that. Yes, there are. And we have a calling to make sure that everybody has those needs met. But on the deepest spiritual level, as we see so many people in the scriptures learn, Paul talks about it, the disciples learn it when they walk away from from their lives, that Jesus says, it's going to be okay, I'm with you. And there's such hope and power in that, and it's true. For those of us who have experienced despair and hope, some of the times that hope is the most dynamic is when it comes when nothing gets fixed, yeah? Nothing gets fixed. All of your what's the appropriate word? junk stays there, and nothing gets fixed, and yet you know that it's okay. It's okay that it's not okay, because you are loved, because you're valued, because God's redemption is for you. And even if you don't see it right now, it's true for the future forever, but it changes how you live right now. And that conviction is what held our teachers full of hope as they walked through unimaginable circumstances. And so surely, surely that same hope is available to us when we remember that there is good news being proclaimed to you because tonight a Savior has been born. So the rescue of Jesus releases us from the things that we need to survive. But the second thing that is so beautiful is that the rescue of Jesus releases us from the lies of status that have been used to define your value, right? The slaves understood that God saw them as both shepherds and kings. 
we sometimes have to remember that the salvation of Jesus rescues us from the lies of lesser lives. And what I mean by the lie of lesser lives is what we think we have to do to have a meaningful life. Or what we've been told that because we don't have means our lives are not as meaningful. Because of our social status, or our background, or our country of origin, or, or um, how much money we make, or what kind of job we have. These things, we, we, whether we choose them or whether they're placed on us, they are our status understandings in the world. And the, the story of Jesus here, speaking hope to despair, is that you are no less significant because of any category than anybody else. But if that's not helpful for you, think about this. You are a child of God, beloved and endowed with absolutely incomprehensible value. And nothing can get in the way of that, right? This is what Paul talks about when he says that height nor depth or angels or demons or light, nothing. Nothing can stop us from the love of God that is in Christ. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can limit that. The shepherds got that first message. Those who wrote these spirituals clung to it. And they teach us that hope is always possible in the midst of despair because of what Jesus is doing, because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus has done. So hope, hope comes in knowing that Jesus has come and that love will win out even if we feel broken. Um, and maybe that's one of the greatest ways to have hope beyond despair is uh, simply to acknowledge that we long for rescue and let it move us nearer to Jesus because we believe that he offers it. Is that too simplistic? <laughs> that maybe hope lies simply in the fact that we acknowledge that we need saving. And I think sometimes we, we, we really shy away from language about salvation um, in maybe more contemporary expressions of church or... or um, because we're not very traditional, like, that can feel like, well, what's that even mean, you know? So we talk about following Jesus a lot. But these things are all wrapped up into one. And the important thing that we understand um, is, is sometimes we, we stay away from that because maybe acknowledging that we really need salvation, that we really need God's rescue internally to set us free, um, and God's rescue in our world, maybe it feels like we're admitting weakness too much. Or maybe, this is a weird one, but some of you I have a feeling are going to track with me. Maybe when we acknowledge that we need rescue, we are subtly feeling like we're judging other people who don't feel like they do need rescue. And we're saying, well, you do too. Like, that's a weird jump, y'all. My mind does it. When I talk about God's salvation and the beauty of his rescue, I'm always thinking, does, that, does my friend over here who's not a Christ follower, is he thinking that I'm judging him <laughs> when I talk about God rescuing me. Like, we need to understand that these are two different things, okay? Um, we can experience the hope and the beauty and the rescue of Jesus without passing judgment on somebody else or, or communicating that somehow they're not receiving that. And I think sometimes that limits our own growth and our own freedom. We're so worried that everybody's going to interpret our own journey as a judgment on theirs. But my goodness... There is such beauty in believing that Jesus saves, that Jesus has come to bring rescue, to bring hope, um, and to realize that we are all included in that journey. Um, so, if we believe that Jesus, as so many have um, before us, that Jesus liberates us 
in the midst of our longing and wants to liberate the world. We acknowledge our brokenness and we acknowledge God's desire to heal it. Um, it changes how we experience life. It dispels our despair. This is what we learn from those who have dared to hope before us, for those who have known pain and longing in deeper ways than many of us ever will. And I, I know that some of you can look at case studies in your own life and see the people that you sense have truly experienced hope and live with hope are often the people who have suffered deeply, so deeply, and they show us the way of faithfulness. There is incredible hope, friends, in the fact that we have a loving advocate who has come to us to empower us and to carry us to a beautiful future and a better now. And this sort of hope, it moves away from your head really deeply into your bones, into your spirit. Um, it's not explainable in a scientific way. Hope is not measurable particularly. So as we begin Advent, I just want to give you permission, all right? If you need this, if you need it, if I may give you permission, you can pause the constant arguments in your head to figure out everything so perfectly so that no more questions exist. You can just wait and hope. You can pause the constant churning. Simply receive the refrain that's given hope for generations in every land across the world. That there is good news of forgiveness, of redemption, of peace, and joy. Those who have gone before us have taught over and over again the power of holding on to the hope of salvation. And we honor them. So, leave behind what needs to be released. And like the song says, rise up and take new steps to follow. Take new steps toward God this season and see what happens. In the most basic, non-formulaic way I can possibly say, it is okay to let yourself be hopeful this month in God's goodness and God's work. So let's just be at peace for a moment. I want to just take us through just a few seconds of acknowledging just in internally, and then we'll, we'll have a couple minutes of catch box. Just a few moments to acknowledge. And it's, if it's helpful to close your eyes, that's great. It's helpful to, sometimes people like physical stuff, it's helpful to keep your hands open, just in a posture of saying, I'm open, Lord. Um, but take a moment and acknowledge maybe where you have let despair creep in, into your life. And we're going to talk about cynicism in a couple weeks, and, um, and we're going to talk about exhaustion, and we're going to talk about isolation. But where has despair, where has despair had its fingers into your life? Acknowledge it. Where do you feel like you just, there's just not much hope? in your own life, in your family, in the life around you, in the world. And then I want you to imagine, imagine yourself in the position of being invited toward Jesus, toward the Messiah. Imagine yourself being one of the ones who receives grace from Jesus during his life. Imagine Jesus coming into those situations and bringing healing. And if it's impossible for you to even imagine healing, then imagine Jesus with an arm on your shoulder walking with you, protecting you from the danger as you walk through it. 
And so just like we began this entire morning, just take that image and hold on to it. Let yourself take just a little step toward hope. And maybe in your own spirit, just say, come Lord Jesus.